Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Welcome back, Solar Warrior. And this is Tactical Tuesday, short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tips, tools, and advice to build your clean energy career. Today, we're going to take a slight deviation from the kinds of conversations that you might have been used to on Suncast. But as I see a massive shift, not just in thinking, but in human capital towards renewables from traditional energy, fossil fuel energy, I think it's ever important for us to be mindful that we can't be xenophobic, as it were, about our domain, our country, our principality, that being what we believe to be renewable and the definition therein. So I've recently had an opportunity to meet with someone, let's say across the aisle, who introduced me to the idea of renewable propane, as today's subject suggests. If you, like me, are asking yourself, come on, propane's a hydrocarbon. How could it be renewable? Well, you're going to want to stick around because we're going to answer that question and more. You'll get to hear me try to figure out how to ask the right questions. You'll hear Tucker defend all the questions I can throw at him. If this is a conversation that sounds interesting to you, well, you're in the right place. And if you're trying to grow your business or career in clean energy, I've got more than 500 episodes with startup founders and clean energy titans just like this over at mysuncast.com. I'd encourage you to go check it out and subscribe to the show, especially if you're a first-time listener. I want to thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. Now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, well, there's no need to beat around the bush. Today, we're going to get out of my comfort zone into an area that I'm going to need a whole lot of help and education to understand. And that is why I have invited the president and CEO of Propane Education and Research Council, otherwise known as PERK, Mr. Tucker Perkins. Apropos the name there, Mr. Tucker, welcome to Suncast. (laughs) I love being here. I love, you know, watching your work as I've kind of prepped for this today. So it's happy to be a part of it. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. Well, anybody who is equally, uh, you know, reaching across the aisle, as it were, and not just becoming educated about the broader energy matrix, but willingly putting himself in the line of fire to educate and inform consumers and industry participants alike is a win in my book. You know, I recently came across, very recently, the Path to Zero podcast, which I'll give a little plug for here, which is your podcast in season three. And you had my buddy Jigger Shaw on your podcast. Why'd you do that? Why'd you bring Jigger over to talk about the Department of Energy Loan Office program? Jigger's a, a, a solar and renewables hawk like me. He is, but he also has a wonderful position inside DOE. And our listeners really are interested in this energy conversation. Uh, some of it is supportive of our position. Some of it may not be, but it's a place where we can go and have scholarly conversations. And Jigger was a typical great guest and, you know, as someone that really you have to have a lot of respect for and enjoy watching him infuse his intellect and vision into Department of Energy. He is walking the tightrope of being a market maker and also migrating over to work in government. I think he's doing it well. You know, as I looked back over some of the episodes that you've done, one stands out in particular that I'll bring up. It's a few after the Jigger episode, which for those who are going to look for it, we'll link to it, but it's episode 14 of season two, 2.14. If you go to their website, shortly thereafter was an episode with David Knight. You've got some, you've had some good guests, man, folks that I uh, that I know and respect. Um, but you had, I thought what would be a good way to introduce this is generally speaking, you know, and even if I go to the EIA website, propane is produced from crude oil refining and natural gas processing. It's on a page by the U.S., Energy Information Administration called Hydrocarbon Gas Liquids Explained. Where do hydrocarbon gas liquids come from? I'll link to that as well in the show notes. You take it from a slightly different 
angle, and so I'll let you expound in that one. In episode two, uh, or episode 18 of season two, you had your first live episode from the National Association of State Energy Officials where you had a speaking point around propane as a tool for decarbonization. That, I think, is something most people can and would willing, willingly get their head around. So as someone who can't, uh, who won't willingly let go of my propane gas tanks for cooking steaks out on my deck, I am eager to understand how I can use propane as a tool for decarbonization. So with that huge long preamble, for which I apologize, I'd like to give you the stage to talk a bit about what PERC is, why you are there, and how propane can be used as a tool for decarbonization. Well, even let me start with maybe even a place you didn't you didn't have in that list, but I'll come back to that, okay. is why sure. would I be on Suncast, right? And I think <laughs> one, one of the things that I'm always mindful of, the propane industry has never been this behemoth. We're certainly not a mm. utility. We're, yeah. We are also nimble entrepreneurial companies, and we've always existed and played well with others. And as we, as we look to the future, we are clear that we will partner with wind and solar. And all of those mm. systems, it's not either or. In fact, we firmly believe in the systems we see installing today, they are in partnership with solar and wind batteries. I mean, the, the systems of the future are fairly complex. And so this is a great time for me as we work with builders or industrial companies or utilities, even on microgrids, they always, the, the ones we're working on today, they always incorporate solar, sometimes yeah. wind, batteries, the control, yeah. and then propane as that firm, if you will, energy storage when everything Easy. else isn't working. So Easy to store, especially off-grid. Every farm in every community or across rural America at one point or other had large and in some cases still remaining propane reserves. I get it. Yeah, 800,000 farms rely on propane today. So that's why I'm glad to be here. Now, let me see Let me see if I can kind of go into your question. And that I think, I bet your listeners understand this, but if we really think about the grid today and we measure it and we think about just where electricity comes from, I, even studying it for four to five years, am shocked some places how filthy the grid is. And people say, yeah. you know, fossil fuels are bad and electrification is good. Well, I'm always quick to say, well, actually coal, oil, wood. Yeah, they're dirty. They're filthy. But if you make your electricity from coal, oil, and wood, it's even more filthy because at least yeah. now you're using it indirectly. And so I find the current narrative to be completely incorrect, at least, is that the only path to a clean climate is through beneficial electrification. The only path to a clean climate is to use less carbon intense fuels than we're using today. And I know we'll talk about renewable propane and the whole purpose of renewable propane is eventually to march your carbon down to zero. But to answer your direct question, how in the world could be using propane today decarbonize today? And the answer is pretty simple. If you take the grid and we do, we, I guess the latest data for us is 2020. That's the EIA data set we're able to use. If you kind of boil all of the components of the grid, nuclear, coal, oil, hydroelectric, solar, wind, if you boil that down to a carbon intensity, the number is about 154 on the carbon intensity scale. Now, that ranges from two, I think, in Vermont, all hydroelectric, to something closer to 300 in some of these coal-intensive states like Wyoming, Kentucky. But if you look at the grid nationally, it's 154 in the carbon intensity. Propane, conventional propane, is 80. So as we think about today, how do you decarbonize today? Well, certainly use less coal, yeah. less oil, more natural gas. I might argue more propane. But we don't really play in large-scale power gen, right? So now we're starting to see these niche beyond the natural gas mains where we play. But that is how you decarbonize. By the way, we do run lots of vehicles. Mm. And we're not interested in being the vehicle that I drive to and from work, that you drive yeah. to and from the store. We're, we're talking about medium-duty, heavy vehicles where payload and range yeah. matter. They might be running 12 hours a day or heavy off-road equipment. So get rid of that diesel fuel today. Right. Use propane when you can. That's how you decarbonize and for what it's today. Worth, lots of cities have moved to clean natural gas in the form of propane to run their buses, right? It is right. And we see more and more. In fact, you know, if you believe some guest on my podcast, 
the future of transportation. Again, not consumer-driven transportation, but medium-duty, heavy-duty yeah. trucking probably will still involve an internal combustion engine with a hybrid application. Most of the more sophisticated mechanical engineer powertrain guys I deal with really see that as ultimately the solution to move heavy trucks long distances. We'll see. Certainly not there today. That's a great place for us to talk about how propane is created traditionally and where the concept of renewable propane comes from. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of go back because I think even, you know, when you said your opening was that propane principally comes from refining crude oil. Interestingly, when I started in this business, and by the way, I hope we actually have a chance to talk about entrepreneurial things because I've done a lot of great entrepreneurial things that I love Fantastic. to share sometimes. But when I started, about 75% of the propane that came into the U.S. came from refining crude oil. Today, those numbers have flipped. In fact, today, because of this prolific expansion of natural gas, most of the propane in the country, in fact, about 82% of it, comes from refining natural gas. And as we kind of look right now into the immediacy of Europe and the Ukraine situation and all this natural gas and energy flowing into Europe, we expect to see even more propane being created because in simple terms, propane is the heavier thing in a natural gas stream or perhaps the lighter thing in a crude oil stream. But because we're less and less crude oil intense and more and more natural gas intense, that propane is found more from natural gas. And people don't realize it. And energy security all of a sudden has popped up as something we can talk about it again. But the United States is by far the largest producer of propane in the world, by far. Why, for those who maybe are scratching their heads around that, uh, why is the U.S. the largest producer by far? We're, what's the derivative function that leads to that? I think the real answer is because of the prolific shale plays that are going on. If we, if we, it, it wasn't true before the shales, but now the Marcellus shale that kind of go from West Virginia up to Southern New York, not only is that natural gas rich, it's natural gas liquid rich, which is a very nice thing because that's where so many people live as well as we think about how to get energy into Pennsylvania and Massachusetts yeah. and New York you know, densely populated areas. But that's that's what's happened is natural gas is just so much more prolific than it was 20, 30 years ago before the shale expansion. And again, we don't talk about it often, but, you know, natural gas is often talked about because they have a methane problem, right? The leaks from a natural gas system are pretty reactive greenhouse gases. I mean, I usually call that a global warming potential of 80, but whatever time horizon you want to use, we can all agree that unburned methane is a pretty bad greenhouse gas. While propane comes from natural gas, it does contains no methane. So the global warming potential of propane is less than four. In fact, if you went into an Aldi or a Lidl or a Target or maybe even your local grocery store, highly likely that the refrigeration cases are using propane as their refrigerant. In fact, an article circulating right now in kind of the green press is propane the solution to a modern refrigerant. And the only really point for your listeners, I think, is that propane has a lot of characteristics that we find good. It's energy dense, easy to transport, doesn't require pipelines. I always like to talk about, you know, the this energy storage, pretty limited areas of energy storage these days, propane's one but we don't contain methane, so we're not reactive as a greenhouse gas. Well, then what happens with the methane in the natural gas when the propane production process extracts propane? It stays in the natural gas. Yeah. So that methane stays with the natural gas. Mm -hmm. it, in fact, methane is the core constituent of natural gas. So when they clean up the natural gas, they literally, literally remove all the things that aren't natural gas, propane, butane, ethane, water, quite a few other things, if you really want to know the details of it. But methane stays in the natural gas. In a world where, as a climate activist, as someone who believes in investing in climate tech to reduce our overall 
greenhouse gas emissions and footprint. By supporting propane, we are also, we're either A, acknowledging reality, which is that we're going to continue to produce natural gas into some foreseeable future, and or B, um, by creating infrastructure for the product that um, that PERC stands to proliferate and educate around, we are supporting the continued extraction of natural gas, which most climate and environmentalist folks would say is not what we want to do. We don't actually want to support shale gas uh, extraction and production. We want to move beyond uh, gas as a fuel and fossil fuel generally as a, as an extractive process and turn to truly renewable sources like the sun and the wind that we don't generate more, we, that generate more of by in and of themselves. Yeah. I love the question. And actually I love, I love this debate. So I'm going to kind of, if you don't mind, I'm going to go three different directions there. One, there is a school of thought. Let's leave it all in the ground. And I never have a great solution for people as long as they agree, let's leave it all in the ground. Let's don't, let's don't mine minerals. Let's don't, you know, let's don't get any of those energy sources that we need. Cause a lot of those people like, let's do leave natural gas in the ground, but let's make sure we mine the minerals that we need to make solar or electronics or the other things that I need in my life. And I don't, I don't believe you can have it that way. Mm. So now with that said though, as a person who has studied it, and as I'm, I'm quick to say, I'm pretty comfortable in how I see it through 2040, yeah. maybe to 2050, and by 2050, I think all bets are off because I think as how we think about energy storage, which to me is kind of the key to all of this, right? How we think about energy storage today and battery technology particularly, it won't be what we're doing past 2050. It may not be what we're doing past 2040, but I'm fairly comfortable that energy will look different past 2050. So... As I study it, and I think about it often because you're right, without natural gas, I don't think we would have really the propane that we need and that we believe is right. right. But I really don't see a lower carbon alternative of scale, particularly when you think about, I'm quick, I'm quick to think about it in three different buckets, I might add. I do think about it as it relates to the climate, specifically in that narrow lens of greenhouse gases and, and temperature rise. But I then quickly think about our own health. And so I'm quick to think about, I don't, I don't want to do it if it's just good for the climate. I also want it to benefit my health, which is one reason you'll kind of hear me never say too many great things about diesel fuel or coal or oil or wood because of the particulate matter. It's just not good for our health, right? The NOx emissions, the particulate matter, it's not good. For, it's not good for health. And then lastly, once we start with greenhouse gases and climate, we go to health. Then the last thing I want to think about is, are the solutions affordable and are they good for equity and justice? Mm -hmm. Five years ago, I never talked about equity and justice. Now it's probably the area that I most like to talk about as I think about it. So I'll go back to your original question. How, for most climate activists, because you're correct, I think if you are promoting to a degree propane, you're promoting a natural gas future. But as again, I love to talk about a three-dimensional energy grid. I talk about it all the time. I think, you know, we, we need overhead wires. I'll call them pipelines, but they're wires that are overhead that are bringing us electricity. And I don't think anything's going to happen that's going to take them away from us. We have this underground network of pipelines that's already bought and paid for. And in many cases, it's probably the safest way to transport pretty large sums of energy. And then we need kind of that vital middle, as I talk about, where energy storage happens, where just-in-time deliveries can happen. Because the electric grid, not so much for solar, but, you know, the main electric grids, they're just-in-time, right? The natural gas delivery system's just-in-time. Yeah. You need storage and buffer in a world that doesn't have reliable electricity or reliable natural gas. Someone cuts the main. Mm. And so that vital middle, I think, involves propane. The last thing I'll say when all the other choices are lower carbon, then I think propane becomes the seat, gets in the seat where coal and oil and wood might be today, mm. is that it's a fuel of the past. But until, until other choices are more carbon cutting, so lower carbon intensity, then I'm going to still stump for propane and natural gas. Right. 
Now, we could have had this whole conversation around GDP and quality of life and, you know, that, but I don't, I don't really, I don't go there myself. Yeah. I, I go strictly as a scientist. When you produce less carbon intense solutions than my carbon intense solution, I will use your solution. Great. So why aren't you working for the solar education and what's the R stand for? Sorry. Uh, research. Research, research council. <laughs> Well, in a way, I think I am because at least, you know, as we, we look at solar, we, we view solar as a genuine form of energy, one that's clearly going to grow. And, you know, now where we see advantages that we talk with builders, particularly, or even commercial builders, but more residential, you know, we're advocating for solar. We clearly feel like that's an energy of the future and you can use it to uh, reduce your utility cost, improve your resilience, improve your footprint. So all of those things are good. So in some respects, we are working, I think, for the solar industry because we we believe in their solutions. Well, it's obvious why I say that. And I think it's it's pertinent to let the folks listening know that you have, you know, they're probably not looking at your LinkedIn. You have a Bachelor of Science in Engineering. You have a Master's in Business from Virginia Tech in Engineering, uh, respected in its field for engineering. And you certainly are uh, well-educated on the topic. I can't get beyond, for now, I can't get beyond the statement, paraphrasing, show me a lower carbon energy source and that's the one I'll choose. Well, I mean, wind and solar and geothermal and hydro are lower carbon energy sources. But I don't think, uh, and I might push geothermal off on the side sometimes. I gotta have to push hydro off as well sometimes because... I'm not sure I think we're going to build a lot more hydroelectric plants, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think those large scale. Now, you know, you have pump storage. Sure, I'd go with that. Pump storage, yes. Uh, Large hydro, no. So for sure, I think solar and wind are a part of it, but at least the research I've done, when the intermittent sources like wind and solar, when they achieve something over 50% of the total mix of the grid, yeah. You need to do different things to deliver that power reliably. That's and, you know, right. I study, I study Europe. And again, clearly there are niche situations where solar currently makes up 70% of the grid mix and it works. Well, you're alluding to storage and the ability to time shift. And yeah, and I'm really, and I am alluding very much to, in fact, the system, right? I look at the system, not, not so much just the system in your house, but the system of delivering energy to a complex nation, if you will, even your own community, mixing of industrial and, you know, commercial and residential. And then the last thing, Nico, I didn't say earlier that I probably should say, whenever I'm speaking, I'm thinking about the full economic analysis, if you will, cradle to grave, however you want to say it. I mean, I think, you know, I I probably the very few things offend me, but one of the most offensive things that out there is I drive a zero emission vehicle. Yeah. Well, no, you don't. Right? <laughs> Your vehicle is parked. It, and again, I think this is where the conversation needs to go up a notch because if we're going to really have honest conversations about what to do right for the earth, then we can't say my vehicle is emission free when it's nowhere near emission. When it's connecting to a grid that's not emission free. That's totally. Right. It's, it's only emission free when it's parked and not being charged. But at yeah. some point, again, I said I could talk about equity all the time. People say, well, I drive a zero emission vehicle. Look what I'm doing for society. Mm. Well, I might say, I don't know. I think the people who are most impacted by your choice live downwind from the power plant who is now choosing their next dirtiest source to provide energy to power your car. That's right. And as we, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a fascinating study right now where we, we're beginning to look at not only what does the published grid say, but what are the what is the incremental growth in the grid? What fuels are utilities choosing to power that incremental growth? So, so again, this to be full disclosure, I, we we only talk about the full economic analysis, uh, and I think that's the only way you can talk about it. And while I'm not sitting looking at EIA data right now on new generation for the last five years, I think that. Solar and wind have outpaced any other generation form of new generation and contracted power by utilities. By far. Yeah. Absolutely. By far. And I think, I believe we'll be on that trajectory 
for years and years and years. Yeah, it's job security for many of us. <laughs> well, I mean, but it also, I think it represents that, you know, that's a tool whose time is here and it's a form of energy that is not only accepted in the public and well funded now, you know, we think by government incentive, it actually makes sense. But as we, as we scale past 50% on our way to 60 or 70%, you know, I think the grid has to change. Again, we have to think through, can we make that investment? Will we make that investment? What are we not doing when we make that investment? And again, as I said, I'm pretty good 2030, maybe 2040, 2050 and beyond. I don't even pretend to know. And 40 to 50, I get shaky. But at least I'm firmly, again, you go about EIA data, IEA data, whoever's data you want to look at nationally or worldwide, they don't forecast scarily to me. They don't forecast much of a decline in the growth of oil or coal because they see GDPs rising across the world. To me, that's the scariest piece of data that no one ever talks about is what, what are we going to do if oil and coal consumption continue to grow? Hey, family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast and You've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Heck, Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Now, you want to talk about renewable propane, and, you know, I, I'm always quick to say even coal and oil have a chance to clean up their game, carbon capture. But you know, at least my experience right now is that carbon capture is really difficult to pull off, direct air capture even more difficult to pull off, and tremendously expensive. And you still have the question of what are you going to do with the carbon when you sequester it, right? What's the right thing to do with it? So there's, you know, there are a lot of ifs about that. And so the last piece of that for us and I've been working on renewable energies for probably seven or eight years now. I'm fortunate enough to keep one eye into Europe and Africa and Asia through partnerships we have with other aligned groups. And there are scientists have kind of been aligned for some time, and I've been at the, at the table with them. And it's, it is amazing to me to see what's changed even in the last six or eight months from what we believe to be true two, three years ago. So, but let me, let me, if you don't mind, let me kind of go to where you, I know, I think I know where your brain goes is because I understand it. I think the same thing sometimes is renewable natural gas a fraud. Is that, is that a game is renewable propane? Yeah, it's the is whole next segment another? of the conversation. <laughs> As an American talking on an energy show in America, I'm never an apologist for conventional propane. I will not be an apologist for conventional propane as long as our carbon intensity is lower than that of many other choices. 
I get it. But we're the first to say, I'm the first to say the grid's going to get cleaner, right? It has to, right? We have to use less coal. We have to use more efficient technologies. So the grid's going to get cleaner, all right? Well, if we're going to survive and we're going to really be a contributor to a cleaner economy, healthier people, and affordable solutions, can we, in fact, create a lower carbon renewable fuel? And I'm, I love the skepticism from you, and I'm assuming from a lot of your listeners, because here's the truth. The answer is we can. And I think we're in the first inning of kind of what we can believe to be true. But let me let me just go through the first today. We go to McDonald's. We pick up that used cooking oil. We go to a farmer, and we pick up their used canola oil or even animal renderings from making bacon and things. We take that into a plant, and then we treat it generally with doses of hydrogen here and there, and we turn these fats and oils into the exact same chemical structure as propane. We can also do other things with it. They turn it into renewable diesel. They turn it into sustainable aviation fuel. That process is almost always the same process. I get it. The idea, the argument is that it is 100% sustainable because it's made from biomass and waste. And I read, you know, there's an article that I'll link to from the Burlington Free Press about a project that you guys are working on um, that has 50% less carbon intensity. I, I, the thing is, I don't want to diminish the fact that it is, as you have stated many times, a lower carbon intensity for which I actually think we need to advocate um, on the whole. I think that, and this is something that the one of the protagonists in the uh, in the article that I that I brought up for you a little earlier, points to, and this is where I'm having conversations with folks around renewable diesel as well. The, the word renewable, it's not for me a lower carbon propane or, or a lower, lower carbon diesel. It's that you're saying renewable. So I'd like to ask you to help me understand how I can wrap my head around the fact that it's renewable. Like I understand the wind is renewable. The sun is renewable. We don't have to do anything for it. It comes back every day. We don't have to mine for it. Uh, we just have to wait for it. Yeah, well, renewable comes from the fact that it comes from renewable sources. So we can plant corn year over year over year. And I'm not, we're not planting corn, but. Okay, but like cork is renewable because the same tree can be harvested every year. Corn isn't renewable. Well, it is renewable in that you can plant that crop. Or, or in, uh, and in fact, in our case, we're not, in many of these cases, I'm going to come back to a few non-food cover crops because that's to me, some of the most exciting technologies that we've seen. But let's let's say wood waste, municipal solid waste, agricultural residues. So as long as we continue to eat, we will have used cooking oil. We'll have animal renderings that we can then turn. So almost all of the products we're talking about as feedstocks. And by the way, it gets really complicated as you expand this and you think about competing fuels for competing feedstocks and the processes that convert. But I, and I love the, the, the question, how can you use the word renewal? Mm -hmm, Cause I have another alternative. Okay. Yeah. You, you have another alternative. Yeah. I drove, a, I drove a diesel vehicle. And when I put in non pump made diesel made from restaurant oil, I called it biodiesel. I didn't call it renewable diesel. So why not That's call right. it biopropane or biodiesel? What's wrong with the word bio? So in Europe, that actually is mm. what they call it. And the, really in North America, we kind of came centered in around renewable, again, under the, under the pretense that it's coming from renewable yeah. sources, trees, uh, crops. I understand that you can regrow them. I still reject the idea that it's renewable. And I think it is like, any, I think anyone listening from Latin America or Europe would think that this is classic America. And I'm not saying this in any way to denigrate the way that you are presenting it. It's classic America to say, we don't like that word because it doesn't serve our purposes. So we're going to co-opt this other word that actually has another meaning. And we're going to use it for our purposes and we're going to explain why it matches. But there's already another word to use that we could use called bio. And I like biodiesel. Yeah, I mean, I really think the other and biodiesel to the, to yeah. use your exact, you know, kind of ruined it all because biodiesel had all kinds of properties about plugging and it didn't perform. Uh, I don't know if your experience with biodiesel mm -hmm. was good, but most people did not have satisfactory experience with biodiesel. 
so really, and then the other issue is we tend to not really rely on these bio processes. We tend to rely on other processes. What other processes? So, I mean, these fuels, what we're talking about so far, they're made in refinery. So using pressure, temperature, catalyst, a lot of hydrogen, uh, a lot of hydro treating. It's kind of interesting. All we're doing is getting the triglyceride that's in fats and oils and, and bombarding that triglyceride is splitting it up and getting those hydrogen atoms. It is the process, which I laugh about. Everybody goes to their doctor and their doctor says their triglycerides are high. I'm thinking, well, we maybe we can make some renewable propane from, from yeah, people. That sounds more um, renewable. But <laughs> especially in America. Yeah. No, but as long I, as McDonald's in, is around, we'll have an infinite in our supply. Our, 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 <laughs> we talk about that some. Uh it it is I, I get the concern around the word renewable, but I think I've, it's really meant that it comes from renewable sources. Yeah. I think that this gentleman Whiting in the article that I was reading earlier, you know, he says it better than I could, which is why I'm going to quote him. He says, the chemical structure of renewable propane is virtually identical to fossil propane, which is why it can be burned in fossil propane's place without any modifications to the equipment. In fact, one of your partners, Ray Energy, says in its news release that the chemical makeup of renewable propane is the same as conventional propane. So therefore, the for me, the argument stands on not that it is not a hydrocarbon. Clearly it is. It simply is that the underlying argument is because we're not extracting it from the ground or extracting it from already existing resources, or if it is from the ground, it's from things that can be replanted and reharvested like corn or, or food products, food, uh, the food chain. There's got to be a better word for that. Or municipal solid waste. I mean, it's, a, it's right. another great example. That is the underpinning or the underlying sort of, um, argument for it being renewable for the renewables industry solar and wind like it's that it's not hydrocarbon that's what makes it renewable yes but again as a guy who thinks about the system i understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. but you you actually have to build a box around solar and wind to use it so again i want to i want to compare systems to systems i find i find his Mm -hmm. actually i don't i don't challenge anything he said it is identically chemically similar it is identically the same as propane. Renewable propane, it's yeah. all C3H8. It just has a completely different sure. pedigree. And that pedigree translates into a lower carbon intensity. Sure, which I appreciate for what it's worth. I actually genuinely appreciate it. As someone right. who drove a biodiesel vehicle, I appreciate it. I was one of the, I had one of the those those sham Volkswagen Jettas that right. was not in fact. But it's still there's an element. <laughs> there isn't, and we often talk about this. Propane is essentially a waste product, right? No one, no one really started out to make propane. They started out to make natural gas or gasoline. And so, what is the value of using a waste product? Um, and it's it's an interesting mm. argument, but one I tend to stay away from because here now we have it. But so let's 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 carry his. Well, what would he do? Would he have the municipal solid waste just left in the landfills to do nothing and create methane for for the earth? I agree with you. As a cradle-to-cradle solution, if we are looking at the entire sort of the ecosystem and we want to have zero waste, there is a credible scenario where we have biopropane made from municipal waste because we're, our goal is not just decarbonization but zero waste. And I don't think probably any of my listeners would have any problem with you saying biopropane and us talking about biopropane costing a dollar more a gallon than conventional propane, but here are the uses for it and here's how it aligns. And let me give you examples of microgrids that it's working in, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think that my main argument and the reason that we originally, I reached out to you um, after you reached out to me, pardon, uh, when I responded to you, I said, I just want to understand why you call it renewable. Same, no, same argument with the folks from the diesel organization that calls it renewable diesel. It's the exact same conversation. Uh, I have no problem at all with reducing our carbon intensity through reuse of existing waste. I have no problem with that at all. In fact, it uh, warms my heart to know that we figured out the science to do that. That is what we need as a society. You, you are correct. I'm not arguing with any of that. And I think that's how we view the benefits of renewable propane. You know, so when our solutions are moving towards zero carbon. And I yeah. think, again, that's why I say I, everything that I believe I knew about renewable propane coming from waste fats and oils 
Now I realize that's probably only three, four percent of where mm. we'll be in a decade or so. I mean, yeah. now now we're moving to non-food cover crops. Camelina right. weed uh, is kind of the latest iteration of this. Camelina weed. So, okay. you know, the jury's out on ethanol about whether ethanol is net good, net bad. I'll stay out of that argument. I'll let you, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about the complexities of growing corn, harvesting corn, then, yeah. you know, grinding corn, then fermenting corn. But, you know, what we're seeing now is uh, in this particular project we're involved in, it's fast, utterly fascinating, a non-food cover crop. Mm-hmm. called camelina weed, grows easily, grows in places, and converts quite easily to renewable propane. I'll stick with that word mm-hmm. just for a moment. And so now what's happening in some of the places, genetically modifying that crop to be even more drought tolerant, even more herbicide resistant, and even more easily convert. Because that's the name of the game for all these feedstocks. Are they numerous? Or are they are they cheap? Can they easily convert to a clean form of energy? And that's, you know, renewable natural gas kind of uh, owns the world today of municipal solid waste, mm-hmm. a lot of agricultural waste products. It's kind of been the purview. But this camelene weed is really exciting to us because we think, you know, one, it's taking land that really wasn't doing anything else right now and able to provide this non-food cover crop. And we'll provide energy. Yeah. Again, that's just kind of the next chapter of the evolution, and the evolution will continue. For us, For us, one of the nirvana is to try to take this leaking methane, flared methane, uh, municipal solid waste, mm-hmm. you know, that's leaking methane, and using plasma technology, convert it to a form of energy that stores. Yeah. By the way, I mean, there's also a couple projects cool in South America where uh, and you you read about it, Pro, propane and ammonia are quite similar. So just okay. stay with me for a second. But, you know, in, in places where they have abundant sunshine or abundant wind, but they don't have abundant people. You know, the problem is how do you get these forms of energy where they're abundant to where people use them? And one of the things we're actively involved in as well is actually using uh, hydrogen to create propane or ammonia. You read about sure. it some. It's easily stored easily transported and then reused where the people live, where the people live. And we're, we're at some fairly neat pilot scale projects. Yeah. Yeah. I touched on this at length in a five part series we did on green hydrogen. And I would encourage folks to go listen to that if they haven't, but even uh, the head of commercialization for Linda simply put it, he says the biggest problem we have with uh, hydrogen is how to use it effectively not whether it should be made and used. And it's the highest highest and best use to abate carbon probably won't be in a propane uh, chain or even in a transportation chain. It will be in um, in making ammonia for steel or, right, like the hard-to-abate industries. That's right. Transportation will be like third, fourth, fifth in line for receiving hydrogen from renewable sources from a carbon abatement perspective if we really actually prioritize it as a high carbon offset tool. Yeah. That's right. I I probably agree with him. There are there are some transportation groups out there that really believe in hub and spoke. You know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll have a hydrogen distribution here, but again, it's all about cost-effective solutions. And we could talk about yeah. hydrogen, but one of the things we often at least recognize is that propane or ammonia and hydrogen aren't very far apart and high and propane and ammonia are both good carriers of that nice hydrogen yeah. atom. Yeah. I'm going to link so, to a bunch of resources for folks that are just curious and want to read a lot more. I don't want to end without getting a chance to actually end on what I think is a high note because as we mentioned before, and my friend Bill Nussi, who wrote an excellent book everyone should read called Local Energy, propane is still an excellent energy-dense storage technology used by farmers for sen- for, for, for over a century. And uh, and in locations, you said 800,000 locations across the United States? 800,000 farms. 800,000 farms across the United States. So we can't throw a, a lot of what we've said in the last 20 minutes. And Tucker, I think as you, as Mark, my our, my, our, my friend, Mark LaCour, you, you'll meet soon, we, we often say, look, we're closer together than we are apart. And, um, and that is because I believe that it does take us, uh, that we do have to take a, an us versus them 
um, sort of uh, division of this. There's not really a them at all in this conversation. We are all working on preserving human life on the planet. And yeah, and I wear a watch and a shirt that I love because uh, because I and every other human on the planet depend on petroleum as an industry. It revolutionized the human existence on the planet, right? Um, so we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth here about the need for a full circle sort of cradle to grave uh, solution to our energy mix. Can you talk a bit about how propane, and I'll call it biopropane, you call it renewable propane, but how propane generally has been, you alluded to at the beginning, and I want to circle back to it, how it is currently being used as a carbon, potentially carbon positive attribute to places like Puerto Rico or other markets where it is being coupled with renewable energy and microgrids and other places and other uh, aspects. Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of the new, that's the new world for us, right? It's always been traditionally the fuel of the farm beyond the natural gas main, the fuel of your grill, the fuel of a forklift. And now we really talk about it either in transportation or in power generation. In Puerto Rico, you, you mentioned that's a great example. Uh, we're just back from a, a trip there to see it with our own eyes. But the, Puerto Rico has been ravaged by storms, you know, you know, just hard to get the grid back up and running. You see a lot of those uh, factories there. In fact, we were just there at the one that makes a lot of pharmaceuticals. Their entire grid is operated on with propane. Um, and we see that more and more, these decentralized microgrids, uh, Roatan Bay and the Honduras, their entire grid, their entire grid is propane. Uh, the Virgin Islands migrated, thankfully, away from using fuel oil to produce power to using propane to produce power. And we see that more and more. We see it now even in the U.S. as we start seeing microgrids. Uh, you know, niche applications sometimes for corporations who want to make sure they have reliable on-site power, but often for utilities, particularly in California, that expect to de-energize the grid because of fire threat or some, you know, some threat to the grid, they're able to, you know, bring their microgrids back up and keep communities energized. More and more of that, and we expect more and more of that to be operated. It's always in partnership with solar or wind, sometimes even both. Um, and it's the new suite of engines we have to do that. Very efficient, very durable. Uh, and it's just a question of how much solar do you have? What's the backup you use for it? And we really are advocating that a lot of them use zero carbon, maybe carbon positive biopropane. I'll use your word for a second. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Tucker, you really are willing to extend the olive branch. <laughs> Man, uh, I think you just earned a lot of favor with our audience here. I do want to point out because a number of our Caribbean and Central American friends will uh, are yelling through the through the phone here that um, the Rotan is not entirely powered by LPG. Um, in fact, I can link to an article by our friends at Bortilla who provided a, probably all, probably all or most of the LPG machines there. That also points to the seven megawatt photovoltaic plant, which is a quite large uh, contribution. They're expanding it to another five megawatt solar plant on the island, um, and there are. Uh, Unfortunately, a, a number of failed attempts to put wind on the island. But to your point, the base load on Roatan and many, many islands, thanks to uh, our friends at Vartzilla, among others, uh, is based on LPG. Yeah, Vartzilla, Vartzilla and Siemens kind of are the two big engine makers. And by the way, a lot of the shipping now, I mean, shipping is migrating from uh, bunker fuel, horribly dirty oil, to now quite a, quite a bit of it is LPG, as, we, as it's known worldwide, uh, mm -hmm. but it's really propane, fueled by propane. Again, for the simple reason that it's much cleaner, much easier for them to propel their ships uh, than a lot of other choices. So, yeah, that's great. I will also link to an article from The Guardian um, that uh, is from, I think, seven or so years ago. It says, scientists modify the E. coli gene to produce gas that can power cars and heat homes. And uh, the headline is, propane made with renewable process for the first time. Let others read that and dig into the details of it and uh, continue to parse for themselves what you are willing to define or accept as renewable. For now, Tucker and I not only continue to be friends, continue to agree that 
it takes all kinds. And there's not really an us versus them. There's not a versus at all. It's just us. And we got to figure out how to power this world together. And it does take propane and it does take other renewable sources of generation and, uh, and storage technology. And that's what we, uh, and that's what we're about here on Suncast as well as at Perk, trying to find sources of power that can sustain our quality of life, our health, and the justice and equity uh, that we want to see in the world. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of it today. I appreciate you, sir. I look forward to meeting you in person someday up in Richmond. Thank you for, uh, for reaching out and asking if this conversation would be appropriate for Suncast. I think it was, and I think that there's a credible scenario where we'll have you back. I'll talk a little bit more about the work that you guys are seeing uh, bear fruit and lower the carbon intensity of our grid. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. All right. Well, what did you think about that? That's a different, a little bit different take on a Suncast Tactical Tuesday, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Lasted a little longer than I anticipated as well, I got to say. Tucker, you're a great conversationalist, and I really appreciate, I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant to me that right at the end, you're willing to say biopropane. And uh, obviously, I, I, I allowed the, the words of renewable propane out of my mouth more than once in this conversation as well. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you think about the conversation Tucker and I just had? Is there room for renewable propane? Do you have a problem, as I did, with the way that the industry has co-opted our, our term, renewable, to apply it to hydrocarbons? If you do, sound off. I'd love you to fire off an email to me, but more, more importantly, and so that Tucker and I can have fun in the in the comments go find my post on this episode on linkedin and drop us a comment i'm hoping that this will stir some conversation among our community and our tribe and i encourage you to join in and if you haven't yet joined our community our tribe you can also do that go into mysuncast.com forward slash community i link to my linkedin account there as well as in the show notes where you my fellow philo math can continue learning through the resources and links. I've dropped a bunch of resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as how to reach out to Tucker directly over on our website at mysuncast.com. You can click on the episodes tab. Stick around this Thursday. We've got another fascinating executive profile, as we always do on Thursdays. Longer form interview usually takes about 75 minutes to get through, sometimes a little longer, but we always focus on how to help you build your clean energy business or career. Thank you once again, as always, to our sponsors who help make this content free to you. You can learn more about them as well as how you could partner with us here on Suncast at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. Mm -hmm.